what I want to talk to you about this morning is that we're going to go on this journey with Joseph to see what a resilient life this young man had in spite of his family dynamics. And we're going to look at some of his family dynamics this morning to give you an idea of what Joseph had to overcome in terms of his uh, day-to-day grind as a growing up young man with the integrity and the character that he had. So I want you to begin to just look at the big idea with me this morning, and that is this. Resilient people do not allow the past to dictate their future. And the word dictate here is really an important word because even though there's some things in our past that were very positive things that certainly had an influence in our lives, we still don't want them to necessarily dictate our future. We want to make sure that each decision that we make along our life's journey is one that's really ordained by God and that we've owned it between us and God. So resilient people do not allow the past to dictate their future. Joseph was a guy that didn't allow his past He needed a family survival kit, essentially. And so we're going to look at Jacob's family this morning. Let me just give you a little background because we're going to play a little bit of a a church or a Bible hopscotch with you this morning. And and I'm going to try to pack a lot of background in to something. And and so we're going to actually go through three chapters of Genesis here pretty quickly. But I want to give you a perspective of what Joseph was living in so that when you see the rest of his life, you can see where he comes from. If you remember that Jacob had quite a reputation Remember, he stole his brother's birthright, and he fooled his father Isaac into uh, giving him his birthright and his inheritance, and there was a lot of conflict between Jacob and Isaac for quite a long time. Uh, Jacob, in fact, was rather deceptive. He was a manipulator, and consequently, he was also manipulated by Uncle Laban, who he wanted desperately to to marry Rachel, if you remember the story, when Jacob wanted to get married. And uh, consequently, he was fooled by Laban, and he ended up with his daughter Leah instead of Rachel. And so he worked many more years to conquer that, to get uh, Rachel as his wife. But he also had two concubines. And so when you look at Jacob's family, you see a blended family here, and it was really messy. Why do I say that? Because Leah, his wife, had six sons. Then he had a concubine named Zilpah who had two sons. And then Bill, another concubine, had two more sons. And then his beloved Rachel had two sons, uh, Joseph and Benjamin, if you remember. And Benjamin, uh, when he was born, Rachel died in childbirth. So it, it was a messy family. This wasn't the Brady Bunch, you know what I mean? I mean, this was really a mess. I mean, you think about it. There was one biological father and four different moms who were sort of stepmoms in all of this. And then you add to it all of the daughters to boot. And you've got a messy, messy family. And the reason why it was messy is because I feel like Jacob didn't step up as a father. And as a result of that, there was a lot of dysfunction. And it carried on from generation to generation. The reason why I say that is because I want you to see that Jacob was a very passive father. And if I had to define passivity, it would be this. It's a failure to take action when required, or it's abdicating a role or responsibility. Let me give you some background on this. Jacob had a daughter, and her name was Dinah. She was a a, a very pretty gal, and because of that, they were living in in Canaan. And uh, because uh, uh, they were living in Canaan, there was a a Hevite named Shechem who uh, really wanted Dinah to be his wife. And because of that, he overstepped his boundaries, and he took Dinah and raped her and then kidnapped her. So here's a father, Jacob, whose daughter was taken captive by this guy named Shechem, and raped by him, 
And his response to this was really rather bizarre. And you read about his response in uh, chapter 34. And let me just share with you in verse 5 how he responded to this incident. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock. So he kept quiet about it until they came home. We don't know how long he kept quiet about it. But here is a, a dad whose daughter had just gotten raped and is being held kidnapped by Shechem, who desperately wanted to marry this, his daughter. And instead of responding initially and taking an, uh, some type of assertive action, he waits until the boys get home. And look at what happens when the brothers get home. The brothers hear about this, and so they create a scheme. And because Shechem wanted so badly to be Dinah's husband... The boys decided to say this, look, we'll negotiate a deal with you, Shechem. If you become like us, if, if, if you all get circumcised in town, all the male guys, if you all get circumcised in town, then you can have our sister as your wife. And two or three days into circumcision, when they were the most vulnerable, the boys went into town and killed all of the male subjects in town and plundered all of the, the goods and things from the various homes in this town. Now, this is what Jacob's response was to his sons. You'll read about it in verse 30 and 31. It says, Then Jacob sent to Simeon and Levi, You brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are a few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, Should we have treated our sister like a prostitute? Here, here's a dad who was more concerned about his PR than he was about his daughter. And the sons took over for him and created this horrible plot to have all these men murdered to take revenge for their sister. Messy, messy, messy in the home life. As I thought about it, I, I thought, what does a passive leader actually communicate to their followers? As, as I looked at this, I thought, what was Jacob really saying to his sons and to his daughter, Dinah? And what does he say to us today? Well, the first thing I want to mention to you is this. When in trouble, a passive leader cannot be counted on. Have you ever been with somebody that, that was really passive and, and, and didn't want to assert themselves or, or, or take control or be the leader when, when stuff was really happening? And, and you looked at him and you say, man, I can't count on him. I, I can't trust him. I, I, can't, I can't put my faith in this guy because for every time there's a confrontation, he wimps out. So that's number one. When in trouble, a passive leader cannot be counted upon. Maybe some of you... Uh, have grown up with a passive parent, a passive mom, or a passive dad. And, and you just feel like, you know what, when, when things are really not going my way, I, I, you know, where's dad, where's mom, why, why, why aren't they there for me? Well, secondly, a passive leader communicates abandonment and a lack of compassion. Can, can you imagine what Dinah must have felt? You know, where's dad? Why, why hasn't he come? Why, why hasn't he at least negotiated some kind of a trade or deal? Uh, why, 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 did, why did he have to send my brothers? Why did my brothers come? Why, why wasn't dad there for me? And maybe some of you grew up in an environment where there was somebody who you really counted on and they were not there for you. And you just thought, well, where, where are they when I really need them? Well, thirdly, a passive leader may allow the wrong people to take control. Have you ever seen that happen in a marriage where you have a husband who won't take the lead and then the wife has to step up and she has to take control 
And then sometimes they're criticized because they're not being submissive when in reality it's the husband who's been terribly passive in the relationship and consequently, in essence, the wrong person in essence is taking the lead. And that's what happened in Jacob's family. If, if Jacob would have stepped up and taken charge instead of allowing his sons to do the dirty work, because those guys were ruthless and you discover how ruthless they are when they later on sell their brother into slavery because they were so jealous of him. I mean, these guys were, were really, really difficult guys to deal with. When you're a passive leader, you leave a leadership vacuum and consequently when you leave a leadership vacuum, somebody's going to fill it, right? Somebody's going to take control. Somebody's going to do the damage and it may not be the kind of control that you really want. Fourth, a passive leader is often taken advantage of because they are usually controlled by fear. You know, you talk to most passive people or passive leaders and you discover that something is controlling them and it's usually a fear. It's something in, in, their, in their being that they, they, they don't want to rock the boat. I, I remember in, in the early days of my church when uh, I planted a church about 35 years ago. It seems like a long time now. Anyways, um, in the early days, I was a people pleaser. I wanted to shepherd everybody. I wanted everybody to be happy. And there were times where there was conflict that needed to be dealt with and there was a grumbling or a complaint and I would be reluctant to, to step in because I didn't want to rock the boat or I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And that was, not, that was the wrong way to lead. And, and yet God put me in those kinds of situations where either you better step up, young man, or you're not going to ever be a leader that you can be counted on. Passive leaders are often taken advantage because they're controlled by fear. And that was what Jacob's problem was. He was living in a foreign land. He was living amongst the Canaanites. And he knew that he was totally outnumbered if something would go wrong. And so he didn't want to deal with this at the expense of his, only da his, his daughter. It's really a sad commentary on the fear that was gripping his life. And for some of you as, as men here this morning, if maybe you're a husband and you're really afraid to maybe be the spiritual leader because you, you really don't know if you can pull it off and you're just afraid to step up. See, passive leadership is often taken advantage of because it's controlled by fear. Here's number five. Passivity leads to permissiveness. Passivity leads to permissiveness. Let me go to that second major point in my outline, and that is permissiveness. And you read about it in, in chapter 35, verses 1 through 4 in the book of Genesis. Let me just uh, give you a little bit of a, a snapshot here of why I say that it leads to permissiveness. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, after this incident with Shechem and the, and the Hevites, uh, th there, was a, there was a real need for, obviously, Jacob felt like he needed to, to leave town pretty quickly because there, there was going to be, he thought, maybe some type of rebellion or retribution. But God steps in and he says to Jacob in chapter 35, verses 1 through 4, he said, Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob did that. And said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes and then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak of Shechem. Where did these idols come from? Well, if you go back into Jacob's family life, you realize that when he married Rachel, 
uh, she took some of Laban's idols and household things that were cherished and brought them into the relationship of their marriage. She took them from, her own, from, from Laban. Then you also see that when the sons killed all these people, that they plundered all of their idols and all of their expensive jewelry and brought that into Jacob's household as well. And so consequently, what happened was that Jacob was, because of his passivity, was permitting these kinds of things in his home on a day-to-day basis. Can you imagine the kind of havoc that those kinds of idols were causing within the framework of his family? And what God is telling him is that, Jacob, listen, you're going to leave town and I want you to bury those things. I want you to get rid of that stuff that should no longer be a part of your family life. And so Jacob decided to follow through and do that. But that passivity will consistently produce permissiveness. And I guess the question that I had when I read this particular passage, I thought, what idols in my family do I need to bury? Have you ever asked yourself that? What are the things that somehow over time you have been passive about? Is it money? Is it sports? Is it food? Is it those toys in the garage? Is it, is it just stuff? Is it busyness? Is it your job? Is it your kids? Is it your smartphone? Is it the computer? What is it in your life that's taken over for God's priority in your life? What is it that, that you've, you've passively have, have resisted and consequently you've been more permissive about it and it's kind of a part of your family life now and it's really robbing you of, of an allegiance to Almighty God? And God might be saying to us this morning, you know what? Maybe it's time to bury him. We need to leave that stuff behind. And so, you know, I I had to really think through my own life and my my own situation. And, you know, it's so easy. I mean, we live in a culture that has saturated us with cultural thinking, with, with the God of this world, as Pastor John talked about a little bit earlier. I mean, Satan is the God of this world, and, and, and the media, the culture, the stuff that we're living with day in and day out has kind of taken a slow toll on us, and we have become more and more, I think, passive rather than insertive, and, and consequently, that stuff is starting to infiltrate our homes and our family life, and maybe God's saying, you know what, time out. It's time to stop being passive and permissive about this stuff because it's going to catch up to you and cause major problems. Well, he said to bury them. Well, Jacob, praise God, followed through on what God asked him to do. And what's really fascinating here is in verse 35, chapter 35, verse 5, it says, Then they set out, and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them, so that no one even pursued them. You see, when Jacob got his priorities right and got rid of the idols in his home, God took care of the threat. And that's the number seven that I want to share with you this morning is that when we learn to get our priorities straight, God has a way of protecting us from the enemy. But we got to get our priorities straight. And Jacob was finally obedient to that and he took all that idols and he left it back in Shechem and didn't allow that to necessarily dictate his future either. But that's a powerful, powerful thing. What are you permitting in your own home? What are those idols, those things that have captured your attention to the point where it's robbed you from a priority before the Lord? 
Well, let me share a third factor that was in Jacob's family that was really hard for Joseph to compensate from. And, and you would think that Joseph probably wasn't needing to compensate from this, but in reality, he did. It was playing favorites. It's interesting how in Jacob's family, there was this passivity and there was this permissiveness, but it's like when Rachel finally had a child, maybe Jacob was starting to get it right. And so he, he loved Joseph beyond all the other, other 10 sons. And then Benjamin came along. And so obviously those two were preferred. And in chapter 37 and verse three and four, we read about it. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Talk about a messy family life. And it seemed like it was inherited from family to family. We saw it with, with, with uh, uh, Jacob and Esau. We saw it with Abraham. And, and, and it just goes on and on and on in the family life where there was favorites being played and it caused all kinds of jealousy. And so that's the eighth point that I want to make with you this morning is that playing favorites will lead to jealousy and competitiveness and or discouragement. And I'm thinking how the brothers, if you remember the story, and we're going to go there the next time I preach, but the fact that these guys were so jealous of Joseph, they were just so sick of, of, of him being favored over all the others that they sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him, but they, they thought, we'll take the second best, we'll sell him into slavery and get rid of this clown out of our family life because we're so sick of dad always preferring him over us. Well, I began to think about this a little bit more and bring it close to home. And I said, well, how does this happen in our own homes? Did you ever have a situation in your home where you were compared to one of your siblings? You know, why, why can't you, you know, get A's like your sister? Or, um, you know, why, why can't you keep your room clean? You know, your sister or brother, they, they keep their room clean. Why can't you keep your room clean? And you begin to sense that there's this competitive and this comparing drive within the family life. And pretty soon you feel maybe left out or, or prejudiced against. And pretty soon you just feel like, well, obviously they like that brother or that sister better than they like me. Or they love them more than they do me. I know we, our, our family, I think we got it right because my, my daughter thought that we favored my son and my son thought we favored my daughter. So he thought, good, we're, we're cool. You know, we, we got it all covered. But secondly, there's a real cha a challenge sometimes, especially in a blended family, because biological children sometimes trump the stepchildren. Have you noticed that in some families? I've seen families that have been blended over the years where, where it just seems to create a little bit of a problem because no matter what, you kind of default position to the biological child over the stepchildren. And consequently, there's some of this comp comparative and this competitiveness that goes on. It can split up a blended family very easily. I've seen it happen. And thirdly, I think when we, we have a tendency sometimes to prefer the easy child, we don't come out and say, you know, that this is my favorite, but oftentimes it's the easy child that gets sort of the, at least when the siblings kind of see it. And it's really easy. I had somebody ask me the other day, he said, do you have a favorite grandchild? And I said, I tell them all, all of them that they're my favorites. But I said, I, 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 I do have a, a kind of a bond with one of my grandsons that, that's kind of special. But I, I hope I don't convey that to my other, my other grandkids. But the point is this, is that sometimes we, we sort of gravitate to that child that's the most responsive to us. 
that, that's the easiest one to control, the easiest one to discipline. And do you, don't you think the other kids in the family see that? And they, they, that's the easy one. And so the only way that that other child can get attention is to act out so they get that kind of attention. And it's, you'd think it would have the reverse effect, but it doesn't. But oftentimes we do. We, we have a tendency sometimes to prefer the easy child in the family. Here's another one that I've seen a lot, and, and that's though it was in my family, I don't know if it was in your family, but we're, when parents are inconsistent in letting one child get away with the same thing and the other child doesn't get away with. Do you know what I mean? I remember growing up that my, you know, my older brother thought, you know, it's like the oldest one gets all the, the restrictions and the rules because the parents want to do a great job and they want to do the best thing they can do for that kid, but that kid's pretty highly controlled. And, 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 and then the middle one comes along and there's a little less controls and they realize that some of those maybe high controls were a little bit harsh and maybe they're going to lighten up a little bit. And then when the baby of the family comes along, they just kind of get away with everything, Right? And so there's this, this can happen in a home where, where there's inconsistency in the area of discipline. And what happens is that one child that is preferred sometimes gets off the hook when another one doesn't. It's just a subtle way of communicating that maybe there's a favorite in the crowd when in reality that's not what you're trying to communicate. Well, anyways, those are some ideas that I have that just is interesting how we can get into a family situation where playing favorites can be very, very deadly. Well, we know now that in conclusion that no wonder the guys wanted to kill Joseph. No wonder the boys were at a point in their, in their relationship with their brother that they were just sick of the whole thing. And they had a reputation of being conniving and manipulating anyways. And so we're going to discover, as many of you know, that they wanted to get rid of Joseph once and for all. And we're going to see how Joseph, even though he grew up in this environment and had this kind of jealousy and hatred towards him by his own brothers, he maintained his integrity and his character all through his life. And that's what a resilient person does because Joseph did not allow his past to dictate his future. And I don't know what you've been through in your life, but are you allowing the past to dictate your future? Are you still playing the victim? Or do you really want to take control of your life by God's grace and take the next step and allowing God to manage your future and your next step? But I want to bring in one more thought. As I was thinking about this whole passivity, permissiveness, and preference thing, I thought about sin. I, I thought about, you know, because I, I was trying to apply this message in my own life as I was studying this, and I was thinking, you know what? I wonder if I'm passive towards certain sins in my life. And, and then, because I'm passive, I've decided to do some rationalization and I become more permissive about that sin in my life. Did you ever struggle with that? And, and then when I'm being permissive and passive about my own sin, what happens is I'm giving preference to who? To me, not to God. And so I, 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 I was really struggling with this because I, I thought, you know, I, I'm... I've, I've tried to get a grip on this idea of not being a passive leader, and, and I, I think I'm doing better at that. I think there's things that I could still do to be a better um, active, uh, positive, assertive type of leader that's godly. But then I thought, but maybe there's an idol in my own life that I'm struggling with, 
And, and I'm being passive about it and I'm permitting it. And now it's become a habit or it's become an addiction or it's become something that's out of control in my life. And I've really, what I'm saying to the Lord, I prefer me and my flesh over what you want. And so I thought if, if, you, if you feel like today you, you've sort of kind of got a handle on this idea of being a, a, you know, a leader that's responsive and, and assertive and, and godly, but maybe there's something in your life that you've been passive about that nobody knows about. Something on the inside, some area of your life where you've been rationalizing and you've been passive and permissive about it. And scripture says, you know, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. He said, in other words, be aggressive. Stop being passive about it. Let's stop this. Let's bury this thing. Let's get this under control by God's grace. So I challenge you in two ways this morning. One is, think about it. Are you letting the past dictate your future? If you are, maybe it's time to become resilient in Christ and to bounce back from those things in the past and begin to take some steps to stop being the victim, to stop blaming, and to move on in your life just like Joseph did, as hard as it was for him. And then secondly, if there is something in your life, is there something that needs to be buried is there an idol? Is there some addiction? Is there some sin in your life that you've been kind of playing with and being passive about and it's time to get really serious about it? Let's pray. Father, I come to you this morning reminded again that every family's got its stuff. It's got its issues. And uh, we laugh about the family survival kit, but God, I know that Joseph was one that needed that survival kit in his own life. But I thank you, Lord, that he's also a model of somebody who didn't allow his past to dictate his future. Regardless of how the family dynamics were, he took great steps of integrity and character and moved on and never presented himself as a victim. Father, for that person here that's sitting this morning that maybe was a product of their family background and they've been a victim for a long time and it's time for them to take some steps to be resilient. I pray for that person, God, that by your grace and by your power, they would take some really positive steps. For that, that husband, that, that dad, or that grandparent that's been kind of passive towards the grandkids or the, or the kids, Lord, I pray that they would step up and, and take some positive steps to really re-enter in a way that's healthy and whole and, and loving and caring. Lord, I pray for that wife who's maybe struggled because their husband has been passive spiritually. God, I pray that you give them the patience and the grace to endure. And I pray for that husband that needs to step up. Lord, there's so many ways we can apply this message. And I just pray that you would use it in the lives of each one of us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.